Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. If you have your Bibles, I want you to get them out. And if you don't, that's okay. We're going to continue in Luke. And Daniel's actually going to be teaching in Luke chapter 4. We're going to read together verses 1 through 13. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And then the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle of a temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for your word. God, now may you open our eyes that we can behold awesome things from your word. So use Daniel in this moment. Teach us this morning. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So we, we looked at this same passage last week, right? And, and what I said last week as we looked at this passage, I, I I said, as we read this story about Jesus' temptation, we have to ask the question, why did Luke put this in here, in chapter four? And to answer that question, we have to go back to the very beginning of the book, and and he's going to lay out for the entire book why he wrote down what he wrote down, why he chose these parts. If you remember the very beginning, so that we would have confidence in that Jesus is the Messiah. That's why he wrote this book. And so last week we looked at this passage, because here's what happens so often. We take a passage of scripture like this, Luke chapter four, and we say, okay, God, what do you have for me? Teach, what do you have for me? What does this say to me? What's, which is good, right? We should do this. But one of the things we must remember is that Bible, the Bible was primarily not written for you. It's written in a time frame for a particular purpose. And now we take that and we learn from that and we apply that. And so last week, what we did is we looked at big picture. What is Luke trying to communicate? And here's what it was last week, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he resisted temptation, was without sin, and therefore did not deserve God's wrath. And then when he died on a cross for the sins of the people, he was not paying for his own sin. He was paying for ours. 
That's the point of Luke chapter four. It's not a three-step guide to face temptation for us. It is that we would look at Jesus and as the writer of Hebrews says, that we would consider Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. Like that he was the perfecter of it so that we would not walk out of here today and say, okay, I gotta do it, I gotta try harder. That we would look and we would say, Jesus accomplished, period. He's the perfecter of my faith. I am not the perfecter of my faith. Jesus was. And as we look last week, it's interesting how Satan works, isn't it? So this is right before Jesus starts his ministry. He's led by the Spirit to the wilderness to be tempted. And if, if we look at this, it's interesting how Satan works. Like he doesn't, to tempt Jesus, to try to get Jesus to fall, Jesus doesn't walk into the wilderness and here comes this seductive woman walking by. That's not where Satan starts. He doesn't go walk in the wilderness and here comes this, this person that Jesus is going to be tempted to murder. That's not where Satan starts. He's way more subtle than that. And where he starts, and what we looked at last week, is the temptation for Jesus to avoid suffering. That's the temptation. Each of these scenarios that Satan puts in front of Jesus is this temptation to accomplish what Jesus came to accomplish apart from God's plan in a way that avoids any type of suffering on his part. That is the temptation. And this temptation will continue throughout Jesus' life. A familiar story, Matthew 16 It'll be on the screen, verse 23. Jesus is teaching. He has his disciples around him. And here's what it says. Here's what Matthew says. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day, be raised. He knows his plan. He knows his mission. Verse 22. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. What's he saying? Jesus, no. We're starting a revolution here. We're starting a movement. We're starting a new kingdom. And the thing that does not go along with a new kingdom and a revolution is suffering and death. Does that sound familiar? Same thing Satan told him. Verse 23, but Jesus turned to and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. See, this temptation would continue throughout Jesus' life, and it would come from some of his most trusted friends. Avoid suffering kingdom, prestige, power, control, not sacrifice, self-denial, suffering. And Hill City, as we today now apply this to and try to find ourselves and try to understand what's this mean for us, this is our temptation to like, I'm convinced most of you didn't wake up this morning and have to fight a battle of not taking heroin. 
If you did, we'll pray, pray for you after. We'd love to journey with you in that. But that wasn't our temptation this morning. Most men, most of you didn't wake up this morning. You know what? I just want to have an affair. That sounds like fun. See, evil works way more subtle than that. Our fight, I'm convinced, as Christians living today in the culture and the time that we live is to avoid suffering. To pursue a life of comfort and ease. Like we are not primarily fighting temptation for, for a bunch of bad sins, but to pursue a life of comfort, safety, pleasure, and ease and call it the Christian life. That's our temptation. And so we're going to look at this through this lens today. And here's what, here's what you got to know. I've been, I have been laboring over this for weeks, this sermon today. And here's what I want you to know, first of all. I am not preaching to you. I am preaching to us. Like if I could, I would go sit right out there and listen and the thing that, that here, here's the, and here's the word he goes and make fun of me about, the tension I feel, is how to call us and myself to this radical obedience of Christ that, that the New Testament calls us to. I mean, let's be honest, if, if, we read the, if we read the Bible, if we spend any time in the New Testament, it is a radical call. And my tension is how do I and how do we as elders lead our church and as individuals to live out this radical call of Jesus? But at the same time, here's what I know. I know that there's many of you here today that are brand new into your walk. And you're taking baby steps, which is awesome. And we're celebrating those baby steps. And my, and my, my big fear, I guess, which is not of God, my, my tension is how do I as a community, challenge us and press us on and, and, and push us to give more of ourselves away without being a discouragement to those that are just barely starting to try to live this thing called Christianity. That's, that's my struggle this morning. So give me grace. We're going to dive in, but we're also not going to back down. And we're going to ask the Spirit today, what would you require of me? Like, please, as we're listening today, don't think, boy, I hope that guy's listening. Because that guy needs to. Spirit, what would you require of me? Because the message of Jesus is counter-cultural to the message of our world, of our culture. Turn your Bibles, John chapter, or 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, this will help us make sense of the temptation that Jesus faced, because you're going to see in this little passage, everything that Jesus faced is paralleled in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Here's what it says, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, pause. When he says the world, that can be confusing, right? Because John 3.16, for God so loved the world. When he, when he says world here, what he means is this, the things of, the pattern of the world, which is live it up. Right? Whatever you want, go for it. That's the world that he's talking about, not the people of the world. For all that is in the world... 
the, number one, desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those three things. Or some of your translations say, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. All of these is not from the Father, but from the world. That's the pattern. That's the belief of the world. And this world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now keep that passage up here. Let's consider this. Look at this. It's going to make a lot of sense. I hope. So John is writing here on what this pattern, what the belief system is of the world. What is the thinking of the world? And here is the thinking of the world. Three things. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Now, keep that up there. Let's go back to the temptation of Jesus. Remember the first temptation. Turn this bread, or turn this stone into bread. Lust of the flesh. That he would desire something over God. Next, he takes him up, shows him all the kingdoms of the world, and says, all these I will give you. Lust of the eyes. That Jesus would see something and be drawn into that and say, okay, that is worth pursuing. And then the last temptation, he takes him up to the temple and says, listen, why don't you jump off? Because if you do, you're going to have a whole lot of people gather around you. Like, let's perform a magic trick here, Jesus. Pride of life. So the same understanding is we see in this narrative of the temptation of Jesus, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And that is the pattern of our world, and that is our greatest temptation. See, the desires of the world are an insatiable appetite for more. Like something more will fulfill me. I need more. And the entire week as we live out in the world, we hear the narrative of more. I mean, we hear it everywhere. And we're, we hear, I need more money. I need a bigger house. I need a better vacation. I need a faster car. I need a better wife. I need a better looking body. I need it. That's what we hear. Like the pattern of the world, the belief system of the world is you need more. But Jesus will speak against that. Listen, guys, he is not afraid to offend us. He's just not. As a matter of fact, Jesus, we don't have time to look at the passage. Jesus is teaching. He has a, he has a big crowd starting to gather around. They're like, all right, this kingdom talk, let's do this. And here's what Jesus says. Hey, if you're not willing to eat of my flesh and drink my blood, you can't be my disciple. And people start saying, man, this is tough. Who, who, can, who can do this? And a bunch of them leave. Like he is not afraid to offend. The call of Jesus is a radical call that is counter-cultural. Verse 16 of 1 John, it says, these things are not from the Father, but from the world. This belief system of I need more. To be a Christian is to deny ourself and our appetite for more and center our life around Christ, who the book of Hebrews says is better. That's the Christian life. 
And I'm convinced, because I face it every single day, every week, I'm convinced that our greatest fight as Christians living in this culture of abundance is that we make our pursuit, the center of our pursuit, pleasure, ease, and comfort. And then we call it Christianity. And if, and if we're honest, if we just look at our culture, and this isn't necessarily a bad thing, this is actually uh, maybe a blessing. Like, in the time frame we live in, we do not know suffering, right? Now, I know some of you have suffered, suffered deeply, and some of you do know suffering, but many of us, myself included, do not know deep suffering. I was hanging out with some friends Friday night, we were just talking, sitting around the table, and two of our wives, had we lived 100 years ago, probably would have died in childbirth. Just at the table. One of our friend's children who needed serious medical attention a year or two probably would have died a hundred years ago. Like we don't know suffering like the generations that have come before. We know comfort. And comfort can quickly become our pursuit. So again, our greatest temptation is not some, quote, bad thing. Our greatest temptation are the, quote, good things, good gifts of God, that we would make them ultimate. That is our temptation. So when Jesus comes along and says the call is to deny yourself, to live with a bigger purpose, to make me the center, here's what we find instead. We have a lot of teenagers and college students here. Instead of Jesus as the center, lay out my life, live with Jesus as the center, here's what we do. We sleep in till 11. We do whatever we need to do to fit in. We play hours of video games. We bounce around to three different churches or three different ministries. We scroll Instagram. We Snapchat. We build our physique. We center everything around. Become like, I need more. I need more. I need more. Young adults, young marrieds, we travel, we play, we hike, we ride, we consume, we keep our schedule free. We watch 14 shows on Netflix. Come on now, we can, we can make fun of the millennials all day long for playing video games, but how many shows are you watching right now? Young families, we have activities, we create activities every night of the week for our children. They're involved in 14 activities. We keep our schedule free from any sort of commitment or any sort of giving ourselves away because no, we need our, we gotta have time for my family. We protect our bubble. We protect our kids. We're trying to build our 401k. Mature adults, we're growing our business. We have grandkids. We gotta keep our schedule free to travel for ease. Like that is the temptation that we face, is it not? And again, I'm not saying you, I'm saying me. And so I'm sitting in this culture of America that says I need more. I'm trying to wrap my head around this call of Jesus and the truth of the Bible that says lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, that is temptation. I'm trying to ask myself, how do I reconcile these two things? Because everything I just listed are not bad, are they? They're great gifts. They're great gifts of God. That we live in a culture where many of, us, many of us can take a vacation this summer and go with our family and relax. That is a great gift of God. 
that we live in a culture where when I get a toothache, I go to the dentist and he gives me something before he jerks my tooth out. It's a great gift of God. Praise God for that. Had my first encounter with laughing gas about a month ago and I loved it. I'm glad I never tried drugs as a, as a teenager. It had been bad. Like these are great gifts. It's common grace of God, but what evil, what Satan will want us to do is take a good gift, make it ultimate, and center our life around it. And some of you are here this morning, you have chased it, haven't you? Like you have chased it and you've come up empty. And maybe you even fell flat on your face. And what I'd encourage you with is that might be the grace of God in your life. Because the message of the world is a lie. Like, how is your pursuit of more working for you? You're so filled? Your peace? And so the temptation for Jesus from Satan is, let's pursue desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, pride. Let's pursue that. That will fulfill you. That will bring you joy. And he resists. Jesus resists because he knows truth. And the rest of the New Testament, as we look at the life of Christ, as we look at the authors who are speaking back of life of Christ, here is going to be the message over and over and over again for people that say they believe in Jesus, that say they want to be a disciple, that say they're following him. The call is to make Christ our life, period. That's the call. That Christ would be our treasure. That Christ would be our pursuit. And over and over again in the Gospels, we're given analogies, stories, parables, charges. We'll look at a bunch of them and go through Luke. And they all center around one thing. Make Christ your life, not the pattern of the world. Not the world, your life. To be a Christian is to deny self and center your life around Christ. And to push away from the narrative of the world that says, you need more, you need more, you need more. Here's how Jesus will say it. We'll look at this in a few months. Nine, chapter nine of Luke. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now we've heard that right a thousand times. And that's a great, oh, take up your cross. It's a great phrase. Imagine being the first disciples that heard this. Well, the cross to them wasn't a cool tattoo. It wasn't a necklace they wore around their neck. The cross to them was the most humiliating way you could be executed. The most painful way you could be executed. That was the cross. And Jesus just said, if you want to know what it means to be my disciple, what it means to join my kingdom, it means this, take your cross. And notice the beginning of this, he says, if anyone would come after me. Like Jesus doesn't take for granted what that phrase means. And he doesn't say, you know, when everyone, because this is a great easy message, when, no, if. Because the Christian life, the call is to come and die, to deny self. There's an author in the 1940s named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Anyone heard of him before? Yeah, lived in Nazi Germany, pastor, 
Um, and, uh, he has a book called The Cost of Discipleship. I encourage you to read it. Um, great story. I don't have time to go into the story too much. But living in Nazi Germany with the rise of Hitler, he speaks out against Hitler, ends up fleeing the country, comes to America, gets convicted that he's living in America while the rest of his fellow Germans who are trying to follow Christ are living there, goes back, ends up getting executed by Hitler's military. In his book, he wrote a book from prison. It's called The Cost of Discipleship. Here's what he said. The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ's suffering, which every man must experience, is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is in that dying of the old man, which is the result of this encounter with Christ. In other words, when I encounter Christ and truly see who he is, that old man starts to die, that old man that centers the attachments of the world. And then his famous line, many of you have heard, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. So the overwhelming message of the New Testament is treasure Christ above all else, even the good gifts of God. That's the call. And as we do that, those who are not in the faith, who don't believe, will see a love and a joy radiate us from that communicate there must be something deeper to this life than more stuff. Like if we're honest about our culture, like we live in, in the culture in the history of the world that has the most ever. I mean, think about that. Unprecedented wealth, unprecedented comfort. But it's not working, is it? I did a little research this morning. Guess who's in, in all the research study, guess who's in the top three of most oppressed in the world? America. Because the narrative of the world, more stuff, more money, more house, more vacation, it doesn't work. Went on a mission trip to Africa in the little remote part of Africa, a village where they have no running water, no electricity whatsoever. One of our college kids had a Coke they got the airport, had it in their bag, got down drinking the Coke, put it down. Before we know it, the kids are playing with it, and that becomes their toy for the week, and they love it. And they're playing soccer with it. I tried to teach them how to play football with it, and they wouldn't have it. They wanted to keep soccer going. And there was a joy and contentment that my kids don't have. Any of you, you old schoolers know the guy named Bono? Right? One of my favorite songs that he wrote, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Go home and Google those lyrics. Right, here's what he says. I've climbed the highest mountain. I've run through the fields. I've kissed honey lips. I, he goes through all these things he's tried. You know what he says? I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And then the third verse, he even jumps on religion and says, listen, I believe, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Like the narrative of America, of our modern society, where more is better, it doesn't work. I was talking to one of my friends who was talking about a, a guy, one of his friends, that just has an abundance of, of everything. And here's what, here's what my buddy says about this guy, quote, he's empty because there are, only, there are only so many beaches you can sit on. And the greatest temptation we face, I face it every day, is to be consumed with the desires of the flesh, Desires of the life, 
eyes and the pride of life. And the call of Jesus is to abandon that. Here's what Paul will say in Philippians 4, verse 11. He's saying, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Man, I wish I could be there. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound, meaning I know how to have a lot of stuff. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of of facing plenty, lots, joy, good food, good vacations, and facing hunger, abundance, and need. Then verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Like here's what Paul's trying to teach us. When Christ becomes your center, when Christ becomes your life, there is a joy and a contentment that surpasses all understanding that could never measure up to, that, that the world can never measure up to. That's the promise. And the question that we have to wrestle with, that Satan wants us to believe is, are you kidding me? Did God actually say, deny yourself? That's our temptation. Did God actually say, push away from the desires of your eyes? Come on. That's our fight. Because what happens if Jesus is not my life? What happens when suffering comes? Let's be real, guys. It's coming for all of us at some level. And these desires of the world that we want to build our lives around, what happens when one of those are ripped away? If that's what we've made the center, we fall apart. That's what happens. However, when we build our life around Christ as the center, we can somehow say like Paul did and say, I've learned the secret of being content. Whether I have a lot or whether I have nothing. Whether I'm going to the rich vacation or I'm going to Branson. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He is my center. There is a peace that surpasses all understanding. But if I've built my life, if I've built my narrative on whatever I want, I go for. Whatever desire, I go for. What happens when temptation comes? Think about it. If I've lived with this pattern of the world that says whatever you desire, chase it, what happens when I'm not happy with my wife? I'll just get a new one. Because there's no way I should have to deny myself and kind of suffer through some things to learn how to love her. No, I'll just find a new one. What happens when my job doesn't pay enough? I'll work more. And I'll tuck my kids in right when I get home and I'll leave before that, but I'll work more, I need more. What happens when my intimacy is stale? I'll turn to the internet, that's easier. What happens when my church doesn't sing the songs I want? Well, I'll find a new one. We live in Missouri, baby. There's churches everywhere. What happens when I'm not content? I'll just have another drink. Like you see the trickle-down effect of this life of more, of pursuing more. That's what ruins us. And I could bring us up one after another, microphone right here, story after story of the little slow slide into destroying my life. We did that all day long. And it started with, don't deny yourself. Did God actually say? That's where it starts. It's our temptation we fight. It's a temptation I fight. Can I be transparent? 
once a week, ah, five times a week. Daniel, you can make more money in the business world. Come on. Just, just go chase it five times a week. It's the temptation we face. It's the temptation we face individually. And then now this beautiful thing called the church, like all of us come together and what we are, what the Bible calls us is this visible body of Christ. Like we are Christ to the world. Hill City, here's what we have to know. We will not, we talk about blessing our city. We talk about being for the city of Springfield. We will not bless our city through fancy, glory, excitement, prestige. That is not how we will bless our city. We will bless our city together as we take up our cross. That's how we will change our city. It is not sexy. Now we can draw a crowd by making it sexy. But to see lasting change, we must say like Paul, I am being poured out like a drink offering. As Paul is trying to communicate the pattern of his life and how he is living, here's what he's trying to think of. He's like, picture a cup of water being poured out and that's what I am. That's how I feel. I'm pouring everything out. That's how we'll change our city. Together, how we will change our city is when we would say to Paul, I count everything else as lost compared to surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So Jesus, all through the book of Luke, he's going to be tough. Man, he's going to come against our American worldview. He's going to come against my worldview. He will always invite us to a different reality. And he will start with grace. He will start with, listen, you have been loved radically by your Father. I have come and died for you. And now may that love and may that grace and may that sacrifice propel you, push you out of a life centered on yourself with a little circle drawn around you and saying, this is me and this is a world that revolves around me. No, may that grace and love and mercy push you out with this life of passion that says, I will give. I will pour out my life. I will deny myself. I will deny more to give and to love and to show compassion and to break barriers. That's what my life will look like. So how do we fight this? Because I, is there anyone here that's like, what? Huh? I don't get it. No. How do we fight this? I have three thoughts. I'm going to wrap us up here. I think, first of all, we invite the Spirit to search our heart. That's why I said today, like, don't look around and think, boy, I hope that rich guy hears this. No. We invite the Spirit to search our heart. Here's what David prayed. Make it your prayer. Search me, O God. Know my heart, like know my pursuits. Know my real joys. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Like every single one of us need to stand in the mirror this week and say, God, search me. My heart is twisted. I want more all the time. God, search me. Reveal that to me and lead me in another way. That's what all of us need to do. Like we as believers need to quit picking apart the morality of those outside the faith and instead stand in front of the mirror and ask ourselves, am I treasuring Christ about, above all else? That's what we need to say. Search my heart. 
Know my heart. Know my thoughts. The second thing we need to do, we see Jesus do it. He preaches the word. Know the Bible. Know the word and preach it to ourselves. Jesus resented temptation every time by preaching truth to Satan and to himself. And he, so he said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. That's how he fought it. You got to know the truth and you got to preach it to yourself. All week long. Man does not live on Netflix alone. Man does not live on fantasy football alone. Man does not live on lake living alone. Man does not live on fine meals alone. Man does not live on fitness alone. Man does not live on kids. Like, all day long, preach it to yourself. Because all week long, you're hearing a different narrative that says, no, no, no. More. You need more. You need more. So we got to invite the Spirit to search our heart. we got to know the Word. And number three, here's my call for you. Here's my action step, and I don't know where the, I don't know where the Spirit will lead you. I'm going to trust Him to do that. We intentionally put ourselves in places where we will be confronted with a different narrative. We have to. We have to intentionally place ourselves in a narrative that's not, it's me, me, me. So I've been wrestling with this for, for weeks. I knew I was preaching this sermon. And I ask the question of me all the time, am I smoking what I'm selling, right? Or am I doing what I'm saying? Well, I ask myself that question. And so I'm, I'm wrestling with the way Emily and I live our lives we try to open up our home as much as we can to have groups and people come over and even students that, that need a place to live have come and live with us. We try to pour out our life and counseling and shepherding people oftentimes at night, like after our kids go to bed, people come over many times during the week. We're not rich, but we're, we're giving above and beyond supporting some people that are, have raised their own support to, to do work. Emily has been leading kids all year and just giving of ourselves and we're trying to wrestle with this but then at the same time um, we fall flat on our face my youngest daughter Ellie has a friend at school whose mom probably is a meth addict like she comes and the teeth are gone and Ellie will hey dad can so and so come and play you know what I want to say no I don't want to get involved there And Ellie's caught on. She even asked Emily, so is, is she not a very good friend? Mm. So I hear evil saying, come on, protect your family. Live a comfortable life. Find some real nice, good friends for your daughters. And I hear the narrative of Jesus saying, deny yourself. And I don't know what to do. So what could this call to deny yourself, to take up this radical life of Jesus, what could this look like? Because it doesn't look the same for all of us. Like, here's what I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you to quit your job and go live in a little one-bedroom house in the middle of North Springfield. Some of you may need to do that, but I'm not telling you to do that. So I've just been looking around and thinking of people in our community. I won't mention their names, but here's some things I've seen as I just try to look at how are people trying to take this kingdom call upon their life. One of our families, 
has made it their mission to foster teenagers. And it's been tough. And they are pouring out their lives to invest in these kids that have lived awful lives. And they are pouring and they are giving and they're investing and they are pouring out their lives like that is the call of Jesus. One of our young men, college student, started his own little business, training some kids. And he got his friends around and they spent a whole week just giving back to their community and trying to serve their community. Talked, I had lunch with a guy this week that's gone on several mission trips to an orphanage in the Ukraine. And here's what he said as he said, as they go and play with these kids, he says, all these kids want is fellowship. That's all they want. They don't want stuff. They just want someone to love them. And he ended up adopting one of those kids into his home. One of my friends has his job where he has seasons that he's gone. He has to travel and he can't do anything. And so while he's here, here's what he's done. He's invested every bit of himself into helping weekly come and set up. He can't do it all year long, but while he's here, he's like, I'm going to serve. I'm going to jump in. We have our outreach team that leads mission opportunities on the north side in a, in a, in a low socioeconomic area of town. Here's what Travis said, the guy that leads that. He says, no one's ever went out there and, and served and said, quote, I wish I wouldn't have done that. We haven't. So maybe that's where we need to jump on. We have some youth leaders that work all week and then give of themselves for free to our teenagers. Some of our ladies walking with a girl that has a horrible home life that you can't imagine. We have some of you that have good jobs and give generously to this church and to other mission organizations like you pour it out there. Some of you maybe need to put your kids to bed because you're a young family. You can't necessarily go out every night and just invest, but you can put your kids to bed at 738 and then you can open up your home for a young family to come in and mentor them. Like here's a time that some of us can redeem that 8 to 10 p.m. time. Some of you like 930. I know. Like that's a time we can redeem. Your kids don't just take you out of ministry. Invite someone over, invite a young family, invite a young couple over, pour in their lives at your home. Some of you need to go to big brothers, big sisters here in town and say, I'll mentor a young boy or young girl that's come from a rough background and you need to deny yourself and do that. Some of you need to go to pregnancy care center and say, what do you need? How can I be a mentor couple or a mentor to a young couple as they're thinking about whether or not they should get rid of their baby? Some of you college students, I told you a couple weeks ago, need to go to some of our young families and say, listen, I will babysit for free. Go enjoy yourself. Here's a night away. What does the call of Jesus look like for you to deny yourself? That's for you and God to figure out. I believe the Spirit will lead you if you stand in front of the mirror and say, God, search my heart. Deny yourself. If you'd like to read a book I'd recommend, we may do it as a church for uh, uh, some time. Uh, it's called A Call to Die by David Nasser. It's just 40 days of practice of kind of, of wrestling through this thing. Heard him speak a couple weeks ago. This guy that wrote this book, and he came, he came as an immigrant, and uh, his father was not a Christian. And the thing, the thing that softened his father's heart, his father owned a little restaurant 
when he immigrated into the U.S., owned a little restaurant. And what happened is one day some of his wait staff didn't show up. He was stressed out. There's no one to take care. And a group of young Christians were there eating, looked around and said, well, you don't have any help. And they jumped in and started washing his dishes for him. And that was the thing that softened his heart, this man's heart, for him to embrace this idea of Jesus. His son is now going to write several books. What's it look like to deny yourself? So I'm trying to wrap my head around, I was talking to several people this week about this, trying to wrap my head around this, this what seems like opposite message of Jesus. Because Jesus will say things like this, I have come to give you an abundant life. Right? That's what he says. Like, I've come to give you life and life abundantly. And then he's going to say, take up your cross. Or he's going to say, I've come to set you free. Or take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And then he'll say, deny yourself. How, <laughs> how does this make sense? And as I've wrestled with it, here is, I think, the resolution to this question. Matthew Chapter 10, verse 39, here's what he says. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Like that's the answer. Here, here's what he's saying. Those that center their life around desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, pride of life will lose it. It doesn't work. Those that center their life around me will find it. Like the paradox of Jesus is life is found in losing it. That there is a greater depth, a deeper meaning, a truer joy when I center my life around Christ and denying myself than if I center my life around me and more stuff. The question do you believe God? That's the question. Because evil would say, oh, come on, really? Just turn that stone into bread. So these, our church is growing. We have people coming, people with needs. And this, these past few months have been a grind. I'll tell you, they've been, they've been heavy. I've been walking, Emily and I have been walking through with some people, some really tough stuff. And I, and at times, just kind of bear the weight of those things. And man, I'm feeling it. I was feeling it a few weeks ago. Got the chance two, week in, two weeks ago just to get out of town for about four days with some friends. And here's what happened. We rested, we played, we laughed, we ate good meals, and we enjoyed every second of it, and my soul needed that. And then we came home, and it's back in the fight. And in that, life is found. Because all of a sudden, that little trip away, the meals become a little bit more meaningful. And the wine becomes a little bit more satisfying. Because I can't afford the, the expensive stuff. It's the cheap stuff for me. And the vacation regenerates my soul because I'm in the fight. Now hear me, I'm not perfect. I wrestle this every week. 
For some of us, the reason we're so empty is we've centered everything around us and we're just sitting on another beach. So the invitation of Jesus is life is found in losing it. So what do you do with this today? Here's what I'm gonna ask you not to do. Oh, I need to try harder, right? This isn't pour out my life. This isn't love others to get God's love. No, it's to love others as God loved. That's the call. So as we receive communion this morning, we are recipients of Christ's life poured out for us. Like that's what we celebrate here. The bread and the wine is Jesus pouring his life out for us. And then the invitation as we receive communion today is now you do the same. And in doing that, you will find life. Do you believe him? Let's pray together. God, we need your grace. We all confess that this morning. We confess that we are too easily satisfied. May we trust you. May we trust that you're good. May you give us the courage to deny ourselves and pour out our lives for the sake of others. And in so may we find life, may we find you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.